Good morning again. We are going to be reading from the Gospel of Matthew this morning. We'll start in chapter 2, verse 13. Um, And as we read the scripture, um, it is maybe helpful to remember um, that where we're picking up in the story this week is just after um, the wise men had come. And so these magi had come, and they had brought gifts, and they had laid them um, at the feet of the family, and uh, it was gold and incense and myrrh, um, frankincense and myrrh. And so as we are picking up the story, there's just been sort of this really um, dramatic, uh, important sort of turn in the story in which um, other folks have come, the stars were aligned, uh, the people had seen a vision and, and had come to meet the Christ. And then we pick up the story in the Gospel of Matthew. And so we read. Now after they, the Magi, had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up. Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up and took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the prophet had spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I have called my son. And when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he was infuriated. And he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to that time that he had learned from the Magi. And then what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing a loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. And when Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was ruling Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled He will be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, As we prepare for communion this week as a church, um, and as we have come through the season of Advent and celebrated the beginning of Christmas and are in the middle of Christmas season right now, um, we have this uh, dangerous story, this... um, so I, I mean, it, if they were to make a movie about just this season of Jesus's life, it would feel very um, mysterious, ominous. Um, there's a lot sort of leading up to this and a lot that will come after, but this is a really important moment of two years in Jesus's life in which there's fleeing and hiding and um, waiting, and fear, 
and anxiety, I'm sure, for the family. There's grief and suffering for many who wait alongside um, of Mary and Joseph, wondering what will happen to their children. There's great loss. It's a pretty hard passage to read. Um, I have lots of questions about why and how and um, what, 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 what else was going on for the rest of the people. And I want uh, us to reflect this week on a few different things. One is, um, what, what does it mean? What, what season are we in and what does um, having the presence of God among us mean in a dark season? What does it mean for us to hold um, Jesus when things are difficult? And um, to help clarify that question, I will uh, maybe give some examples um, of, a, of a story and how names and meanings uh, maybe uh, are woven together. Um, many of us, I believe, or maybe if not all, have seen the movie Star Wars. Forgive me, because this is a, a frequent um, example of mine, but does anyone happen to know what the name Luke means? Anyone? Luke just means bearer of light. And what does Darth mean? Darkness. And so from the very moment you hear their names, you know that there is going to be one who brings light and one who represents darkness. And there are lots of things that sort of lead up into that moment, but as soon as you know both of their names, you can at least pull some hints from the story about what's going on. And so um, you have in this particular story the baby Jesus and an evil ruler of Herod. And so you know, it, it, in this particular passage, it sort of explains the heaviness and the intent, the murderous intent of Herod. And then you have baby Jesus. And what does Jesus mean? Savior. Savior. The Lord is our Savior. So all through this passage, Every time they talk about the baby or the child, they're talking about the Lord who saves sort of being hidden away, sheltered, protected, hidden away, or sort of uh, mysteriously moving from place to place, not fully yet being realized. But the Lord who saves is among us, even in the midst of this story. And so as this story unfolds, every time they talk about the baby, we're reminded that the God who saves is even in this dark place. We also have in this particular story um, a new beginning. This is a child, and this is the beginning of... Um, in the Gospels, this is in some ways the beginning of Jesus's biography, right? This is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so as we begin this story, 
We're given several prompts. Um, again, as we've just come through Advent, um, I feel safe asking this question. What were some of the prompts or images that were given to us to lead up to this particular story in the last four or five weeks, maybe even including Christmas um, and Pastor Albert's sermon last week? What were some of the images or um, stories that were told to get us ready for this moment? A tree that's chopped down and a shoot that springs up from its stump. Any other images that we pulled from scripture or that were narrated for us? Hundreds of years of prophecy. Hundreds of years of prophecy. Yeah. So you have this long running theme of God being near, God always sort of being in covenant with God's people in the good and in the difficult. You have angels appearing, right? So you have lots of angels appearing to Mary. You have lots of angels appearing to Joseph. You have angels in this particular story appearing. I can think of angels appearing all throughout scripture. Uh, People wrestle with God. Um, People are, I think of Abraham and Sarah. The angel appears to them and tells them that they shall have children so numerous that they will be unable to count them like the stars in the sky. Any other symbols that We're in the Advent season that help us to understand and hear this particular passage, this dark passage in which Jesus is hidden away. Ah, giant construction. Make make way for the Lord. God is coming. A very um, embedded image to have the straight road Justice and mercy will be brought down to us. So we have these names and we have these symbols that help us to understand this particular story. And then uh, in this particular story, um, they are bouncing from Egypt um, and Bethlehem. They flee and they arrive and then they flee and they arrive and they end up in a place called Nazareth. Why is Nazareth important? It's not. It's not an important city. It's it's a place that you stop along the way, maybe. Um, I'm from Stockton. It is a big city, um, but it is often a place that you stop along the way. Um, Very few recommend that you spend the night there or that you move there. Um, But clearly there are people who live there, and um, it is a place um, where people are from. Um, But it's not where you would expect um, the presence of God to dwell, or it's not where you would look for a savior to be raised. And in this particular story that mimics um, or retells or recaptures so many other stories. I think of the shepherds um, being called in to the manger or into the birth scene. I think of David being born. 
in Bethlehem, another city in which the real significance of that place is that God has named it to be a place worthy of being present. Um, when uh, a dignitary flies in, uh, usually in, this, in these parts, they usually fly into SFO, and there are a bunch of cars that sort of uh, surround the airport, and they lead the dignitary to and from. Um, as one, uh, as I, I went to Point Loma um, in San Diego, and the drive back and forth from Stockton to San Diego um, goes through Bakersfield. If you haven't been there, um, it's a place in the Central Valley. That, for me, was one of those places where you just sort of st stop by. You stop to get gas. You maybe grab lunch there, but it's not noteworthy um, for a college student who's just trying to go back and forth. And one year, as I was driving down, um, I, was, I got stuck in between two parts of a motorcade. Um, so they had come onto the on-ramp, and I just was wrong place, right place, I'm not sure. But I was six limousines in front with a presidential flag hanging from one of them, and six limousines behind me, and I was the only other car um, for about two miles, and then uh, I, I felt really awkward, and so I just sort of pulled over and let all of the cars go by. But it was one of those moments where um, I recognized that, oh, there's something really important going on, and there were banners and cars and sort of familiar signals to me, but none of that is here in this story. You have a woman with a small child and her spouse who are fleeing. But because the story of God with the people of Israel has consistently pulled from people without a place, slaves in Egypt, shepherds in a field, this is exactly the place where you might expect someone to mature and to grow in the story of God. Because God consistently shows up where there is injustice, where there is um, uh, a, an imbalance of power where people need um, good news. It's why we call the story of Jesus the gospel. Good news to the poor and to the weary, to the broken, to those who need healing, to those who are imprisoned. The gospel is not, um, God does not consistently in scripture, show up in the places of power, in the places where there's lots of money, in the places where um, authority has already been given. God raises up the lowly. And so as we have this particular story, and at this particular point in uh, the gospel, we as the people of God should be fairly normalized to the idea that God is with those in need. That's the part of the story that we're in this week, that God is residing with those in need. And so as we take communion this morning, we remember that God, Emmanuel, 
the one who is a shoot, a reminder that there is a, a long history of God being faithful, the one for whom the call is to make the road straight and easy for those to practice justice and mercy, that is the God who lives among us and the God who has decided to dwell with those in need. And as we come to the table, we're given the opportunity to remember that. We're given the opportunity to reflect on the type of God who has come to be with us and the type of people we hope to be. We hope to be the type of people that when you say, why are you in that place? Why do you hang out with those people? Why do you make friends with the lonely? Why do you give to those in need? Because this is the kind of God that we want to be like. This is the kind of God that we want to serve. This is the kind of God that we remember as we take communion. Jesus goes on, and there are many other parts of the story of Jesus and the life of Jesus um, that give us more clues. But even in this hidden away place, the name of Jesus has decided to enter into a dark place, a place of hiding, a place that no one else would really go out of their way to find. The presence of God would be matured and raised among the lowly. It um, is a point of uh, maybe pride is too strong, uh, but maybe it's the right word. It is a point of pride for us in the Church of the Nazarene um, to align ourselves with the God who went to Nazareth. It is a name that we have taken on to remind ourselves um, to be present with those in need. So that every time someone hears Church of the Nazarene, they might associate it with the God who resides among the lowly. In the same way that when people hear you're from the Bay Area, they make all sorts of assumptions about you. Um, in the same way that we make all sorts of assumptions about people from Texas. And they're superficial or maybe incorrect. But we make lots of assumptions because of where people are from and what they call themselves. What do you assume about people who live in New York or people who are in Portland or Seattle? They sort of take on these identities because of the place that they live and the name that they associate themselves with. And so again, as we approach communion, we have the opportunity to think about our own names and what story we want people to associate us with. What is the name of our church? New Life Church of the Nazarene. If there was a better descriptor for this particular passage of scripture, I would be hard pressed. The Lord who saves is in Nazareth. The one who is 
chased out of authority and chased out of places of honor and chased out of bringing justice to the people resides in Nazareth. And so we, the Church of the Nazarene, like every other church, have the opportunity to remember who we are and why we are the people we are. We have the opportunity in this new year to find low places in our communities. We have the opportunity to be uh, ministered to when we are lonely, when we are broken, to recognize that even in our own places of isolation, when we feel like there's no reason for anyone to come by our house or to dwell here or to live among us, that God has chosen to live among us. Whether you are rich or poor, this is the movement of God and the calling of God for us to follow. This is, lastly, I think, a familiar passage, um, and I don't think that's always a bad thing. Sometimes we're um, looking for new and novel ways to approach something. Um, But this week, as I was um, hugging my daughter, Erin, this is a a familiar thing for us. Um, And so it happened this week, but it's happened many more times, and as I tell you the story, you'll recognize how it could happen. Um, But she was walking down the stairs and I scooped her up and just like kind of held her next to me. And I leaned over and I said, hey, do you know what? And she said, what? And I said, "Do do you know what? And she said, yes, I know what. And she rolled her eyes. Um... Both my children are really great eye rollers. Um, But she rolled her eyes and she said, because you tell us all the time. And I said, well, what is it? She said, you love me. And I said, well, why do you think that's what I'm going to say? And she said, because you tell us every day. There is a familiarity in this particular story of what it means for God's love to show up for God's people and for the world and for creation. And so in a lot of ways, even in this sort of hard story, in this difficult story, this is one way in which God is sort of scooping us up and pinning us to God's presence and saying, hey, do you know what? And we should immediately recognize that when God is going to be present. He's going to be present amongst those in need. And this is God's way of saying, I love you again, consistently, in every situation, no matter what. And there are lots of times in Scripture and in this year, as people preach, that we will hear that good news in proclamation form. But hear it this morning as well that even in this very difficult passage, God is finding ways to say that I love you and that I am present, I will be with you, 
that even when you are rejected and outcast, even when it seems and may even be for parts of the church, people who want to persecute you and harm you, when the church might be under threat of destruction, that God has chosen to be there and to dwell there and to lift up the lowly.